Have you ever signed up for something without reading the small print? Uh, maybe it was a free trial for something or it was something else you, you bought for what seemed to be an amazing price but there was a catch, uh, something that you would have only known about if you'd read the small print. And if you had read the small print, if you'd known about it up front, you wouldn't have been in such a rush to commit. Well, there's no small print in the Bible. Uh, when Jesus called people to follow him, he was upfront about what that would involve. When great crowds were following him, he told them that they needed to count the cost before becoming his disciples. Now, sometimes preachers or believers in their desire to see others converted will hide the cost or or at least they'll focus almost exclusively on the great bits about being a Christian. And there are many, many great bits, but, but they'll not say anything about the hard bits. And yet if we do that, we'll not be being faithful to the message as proclaimed by Jesus and the Apostles. The Apostle Paul facing his own approaching martyrdom in the last letter that he ever wrote. He said, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not some might be persecuted, but all will be persecuted. And when the Lord Jesus says in this final beatitude, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. He's not saying that only some Christians will be persecuted any more than he's saying that only some Christians are to be merciful, pure in heart or peacemakers. Now not everyone will be persecuted for righteousness. Unbelievers won't be, but every true believer will. And so we need to face up to that. We need to come to terms with that particularly because one of our biggest temptations will be to try and dodge it, uh, to try and avoid at least some of the hassle we get for being Christians. So we need to reckon with the reality of persecution, uh, but we also need to be strengthened to face it by the promise of blessing. And this final beatitude does both those things. It it, it strengthens us or or it it helps us reckon with the reality of persecution, but it also strengthens us to face it with the promise of blessing. Uh, We have two headings this morning. Uh, Firstly, persecution, what and why. Uh, Then secondly, blessing, what and when. So firstly, persecution, what and why? We talk today, we we pray today for the persecuted church. And by that we usually mean countries where people face severe opposition for being Christians. Countries where living openly as a Christian or converting to Christianity can see someone cast out by their family, denied access to daily necessities, arrested or even killed and obviously we don't all face that level of persecution 
when the Apostle Paul says that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, he can't be expecting every Christian in the world to face the same level of persecution. Even among those countries we, decide, we describe as a persecuted church, there are different levels of persecution. On Sunday evenings, our girls use prayer maps provided by Open Doors. On the map are the top 50 most persecuted countries in the world. Uh, there's a little passport with it with a, a description of every country, uh, maybe a flag to colour in or a sticker to put on. But those 50 countries are, are the, the top 50 where Christians face the most extreme persecution. On this year's list, 11 countries are in red. And that means they face extreme persecution. Uh, those are North Korea, Somalia, Yemen, Eritrea, Libya, Nigeria, Pakistan, Iran, Afghanistan, Sudan and India. The other 31 countries in the top 50 are coloured in orange. That means they face very high levels of persecution. Uh, those include Syria, Saudi Arabia, China and many more. And obviously when it comes to Scotland, we don't face the same level of persecution that they do in those countries. Of course, in the days of the Covenanters, many believers in Scotland were killed or banished because of their faith. But while we'll not all face the same level of persecution as our brothers and sisters around the world or throughout history, it is clear from God's word that every true believer will face some level of persecution. So what is persecution? Well, the word has the sense of to, to harass or, or chase someone, uh, to, to harass someone for their beliefs. Uh, some of you have experienced that in the workplace. Others have experienced it at home from a, an unbeliever who you live with. I'm sure we've all experienced it from friends or neighbours Perhaps those who used to be your friend until you became a Christian. Our children will experience it in school if they stand up for what they believe in. In verse 11, Jesus elaborates what this might look like. It might look like being reviled, persecuted and having all kinds of evil spoken against you falsely on his account. Perhaps at Bible study on Wednesday we can talk about ways we've experienced harassment because of our beliefs. Or, or if you can't make Bible study and there are, are particular areas where you're, you're facing pressure for being a Christian. If you want to share that with, with James or myself we will pray uh, specifically about that both uh, as we regularly pray for the congregation by ourselves but also as we meet each month to pray. Uh, none of us have to face uh, these things alone. Now I do think it's important to try and keep a sense of perspective. None of us are facing persecution or harassment to the same level as many of our brothers and sisters around the world. And many of them are a rebuke to us. Uh, for example, in how they count public worship as so valuable that they will risk arrest 
to meet together with other Christians. And yet if we are facing no opposition because of our faith, then it must call into question whether our faith is real. But before we go any further, it's also important to say and sad to say that that some Christians think they're being persecuted for being Christians when they're just being obnoxious. It's blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. The Apostle Peter makes a distinction in 1 Peter 4.15 when he says, If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. So Peter, uh, who, would have, who would have heard that original beatitude, he, he, he puts it in his own words. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Blessed are those who are insulted. But, but he says, let none of you suffer as a, a meddler or, or a wrongdoer. If a Christian loses their job for being rude, for example, they, they can't say, oh, I, I've been persecuted for being a Christian. Uh, we've already seen in the Beatitudes how Christians are to be meek, how they are to be peacemakers. And if we bring uh, down antagonism on ourselves because we're not meek and because we're not pe- peacemakers, then, then we can't just say, well, uh, it's, it's because I'm a Christian. There was a story recently about a, a Christian school in America where a teacher was sacked when it was found out that he had an anonymous social media account which was promoting white nationalism and racism and that sort of stuff, uh, which he initially denied, of course, that, then he admitted it was him but said he, he'd forgotten uh, that he'd been doing this. Uh, But when he was sacked, someone set up a website to raise money for him as if he was a victim. But being sacked for being racist isn't persecution. Uh, Neither can we claim to be persecuted if the real reason we're suffering is because we've been ignorant or rude or disrespectful. The Bible's message is that persecution will come for being a Christian. We, we don't need to go looking for it. Uh, and related to that, when we are genuinely persecuted, our reaction is important. Because how does Jesus say we should react? Well, we, we read uh, the end of the Sermon on the Mount as well. Uh, or, or at least the end of this chapter, he says, Jesus in verse 44, uh, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Romans twelve fourteen tells us, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Remember, of course, that the Apostle Paul was speaking there in Romans as one who had once been a persecutor himself. He, he never forgot what he had once been. And what changed him? Well, in some ways, Paul's conversion was sudden. So sudden that it seemed completely out of the blue. A Damascus Road conversion. But actually, when the Lord Jesus appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus, he said, It is hard for you to kick against the goads. 
In other words, Paul had been trying to resist God and resist his conscience uh, long before he was converted. Paul was unsettled before he was converted. And what may first have unsettled him was the martyrdom of Stephen. Uh, And particularly how Stephen, like his saviour, prayed for his persecutors. How, How Stephen's face shone as he died, rather than being contracted in anger. Then there are are the examples of those unnamed Christians Paul talks about in Acts 26, who he punished often and tried to make them blaspheme. He tried to make them deny Christ, but they wouldn't. And we can be sure that their response to persecution was one of blessing their persecutor, not cursing him. So surely we will lose much or all of the blessing that the Lord pronounces on those who are persecuted if we return evil for evil, if we don't respond in a godly way to persecution. So yes, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, if, like our Saviour, when we are reviled, we do not revile in return. Uh, Perhaps even our response to someone's mocking and slander may be the thing that God uses to bring them to faith in him. Remember that when you're persecuted or harassed, that God has converted some famous persecutors before. So that's the, the what of persecution, what it is, what it's not, how we should respond to it. But before we leave this first point, we want to ask why Why does persecution come, Uh, particularly to Christians who are living out the rest of the Beatitudes? Surely the world would value Christians if they are merciful, pure in heart and peacemakers. Yet the Lord Jesus says here that the peacemakers are those who will be persecuted. Surely it doesn't make sense. So why is this? Well, ultimately, it's because behind persecution is Satan himself. We need to remind ourselves often that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. But, but on a human level, how can people persecute those who, who live out uh, th- these Beatitudes? Well, surely it's because living a consistent Christian life stirs the consciences of others whether that's the conscience of someone who, who, who says they're a Christian uh, and yet they see that our lives are very different from theirs or whether it's someone who says that they don't need God to be good moral people and yet they see the goodness that Christians have uh, and they know that it's different from the life that, that they call good but it is true goodness, it is wholesome goodness And they try to silence their consciences by silencing Christians. And this is the way that it's always been, from Cain and Abel onwards. Those who are the seed of the serpent have always attacked the seed of the woman. Paul talks in Galatians about Isaac and Ishmael. And he says that he who was born according to the flesh, that's Ishmael, persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, uh, that's Isaac. 
And that's the ultimate answer to the why question. Why are Christians persecuted uh, around the world in whatever country they find themselves in? Because at the end of the day, those who are born of the flesh are opposed to those who are born of the Spirit. There are only two groups of people in the world. If you haven't yet been born of the Spirit this morning, you are still born of the flesh. And no matter how open to Christianity you say you are, no matter how respectful of it you might say you are, at the end of the day you're still fundamentally opposed to it. Because Christianity says to you that you're not actually a good person and so you must repent or perish. So firstly, this morning, persecution, what and why? Uh, so boys and girls, uh, persecution, it's uh, people getting a hard time for being Christian. Uh, we can get that in, in this country, uh, but, but in other countries in the world, people are, are even dying for being Christians. Secondly, then, of, of our two points, blessing, what and when? Blessing, what and when? The Beatitudes seem a very strange group of sayings to the unbeliever. How can the poor in spirit and the persecuted be blessed? In fact, even for us as believers, to be persecuted, to be harassed, to be slandered, it doesn't really feel like being blessed. And yet this Beatitude tells us that at the very same time as others are laying curses on us, God is pouring blessing on us. How can that be? Well, as Jesus goes on to say, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, one of the main blessings of persecution is that it shows we are God's people if we are willing to endure it. Because not all are willing to endure persecution uh, which comes into their lives. Uh, do you remember the parable of the sower? Uh, the seed sown on rocky ground that had no root. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. So the blessing of persecution if we are willing to endure it, is that it provides evidence that our faith is real. It provides evidence to us, first and foremost, that Jesus means more to us than an easy life. If we find ourselves being willing to, to not dodge or flee the, the hassle and persecution, it shows that Jesus means more to us than an easy life. And so when Jesus says in verse 10, theirs is the kingdom of heaven, he's not saying, of course, that we enter the kingdom of heaven because we're persecuted. But rather, that since all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, then if we are willing to face persecution and ill treatment, it shows that Jesus really is our greatest treasure. It shows that like Moses, we consider the reproach of Christ greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt. 
And in fact, by speaking about the kingdom of heaven, the Beatitudes end where they began. Most commentators see verses 11 and 12 as an additional explanation or application of verse 10 by Jesus to his disciples. So the last proper beatitude is in verse 10 uh, and it ends with the kingdom of heaven just as the first beatitude did in verse 3. And as we saw way back in the introductory sermon to the beatitudes in March, kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God describe the same thing. Matthew uses both phrases, though mostly he uses kingdom of heaven, whereas the other gospel writers just use kingdom of God. Uh, and Matthew often uses kingdom of heaven because he's writing for a Jewish audience. Uh, we, we know that the Jews at that time, they tended to use the word heaven instead of the word God. It was, it was a, a custom to, to try and, and stop them making sure they didn't use God's name in vain. Uh, and Matthew, Matthew goes along with that uh, often. But if we, if we compare the Beatitudes in Matthew and Luke, we can see that the kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven refer to the same thing. Here in Matthew, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Whereas in Luke 6.20, in the version of the Beatitudes there, Jesus says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. So, so the poor in Matthew are promised the kingdom of heaven. The poor in Luke are promised the kingdom of God. It's the same thing. It's the same promise. It's not two different promises. So what is the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God? Well, we might think that that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is something for the future and not something that we'll experience now. And certainly there is a future aspect to it. But the kingdom of God is not primarily a place. Rather, it is the rule of God focused in Jesus. Later on in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus will say, If it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And since Jesus, of course, did cast out demons by the Spirit of God, that meant that God's kingdom was already a reality. A reality that people could experience when Jesus was on earth. Jesus says in Luke 17, 20, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. In other words, because Jesus was present, the kingdom of God had come. A final reference is Matthew 21, 31 where Jesus told the respectable religious people of his day that the, the tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. That didn't mean that tax collectors and prostitutes were dying first and going to heaven. It meant that they were being converted first and so entering the kingdom of God. So to be in the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is to be a Christian. It is to have bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, recognising who he is and giving your life to him. And there is no more important question that any of us could face than whether we are in the kingdom of God or not. 
whether we're in the kingdom of heaven. And that is a question that's important to ask ourselves each time we come to the Lord's table. If you've been here for a while, you might have noticed that we treat communion pretty seriously. And the reason for that is because the Apostle Paul tells us that people have died because they sat around the Lord's table when they weren't believers. People literally died because, as Paul says, they did not judge themselves truly in the sight of God. And so it is right to examine ourselves before we come. In fact, it's a command. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And with communion coming up next Lord's Day, in God's providence, the Beatitudes give us criteria to examine our lives against. And these are things that we should be able to see in our lives. Sinclair Ferguson says of the Beatitudes, Jesus is not telling us what we should be. Rather, he is describing what the power of God's kingdom makes us. In other words, this isn't a description of what we might hope to be one day. But rather, it is what the power of God's kingdom makes a believer. The, the, the moment someone becomes a Christian, these things should begin to appear in seed form in their lives. And so if these characteristics aren't seen in our lives, then the power of God's kingdom is not at work in us. In God's providence, we're, we're finishing this series right before we come to the Lord's table uh, next Lord's Day. Uh, and perhaps you've, you've heard that command many times, uh, let a person examine himself, but you're not quite sure what you should be doing. Well, the Beatitudes are an ideal list to work through uh, to help see if you really are one of those who the Lord Jesus has pronounced truly blessed. So taking them from the start, are you poor in spirit? Do you realise that you have no hope of heaven but Jesus Christ? Do you mourn over your sin? Is the ongoing sin in your life a grief to you? Could you be described as meek rather than self-important? Are you covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ? And do you long to be more like him? Would others describe you as merciful? Are you pure in heart and seeking to purify your heart more and more? Are you a peacemaker? Do you bear with other believers in love? Do you consider it your glory to overlook an offence? And is your life different enough from those around you that it brings antagonism? Is that a cost that you're willing to bear? And in fact, is your reaction to harassment to bless your enemies rather than curse them? Why not take one of these eight Beatitudes a day, starting today, finishing next Lord's Day morning? Think through what the Beatitude means. If you have sermon notes or, or, or keep the sermon sheets, you can look back at those. And if you do see evidences of that particular beatitude in your life, give thanks to God for his grace. Confess where you fall short. And then come to the table next week. 
as a foretaste of the day when we will sit down around the table in the kingdom of heaven and when we will be perfectly blessed because we will be perfectly conformed to the image of Christ. And even now the Lord's Supper is one of the means God uses to strengthen us to live for him in the midst of persecution. And so to finish off by coming back to the final beatitude, blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed as we've seen because facing persecution rather than fleeing it is evidence that we're God's people. It's evidence that we're in his kingdom already and that one day we will live forever with him but blessed also even in persecution because God is with us because Jesus cares when parts of his body are under attack. As he once put it, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And so though we are persecuted, we are not forsaken as Paul would go on to put it later. Those he persecuted weren't forsaken. He knew that. And when he was persecuted, he wasn't forsaken either. And then finally, we are blessed when we're persecuted because we are walking the same path that Jesus walked. A servant is not greater than his master, Jesus said. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And of course, our persecution is nothing compared to his. He was reviled persecuted and had all kinds of evil set against him falsely to a far greater extent than any of us ever will and as he was persecuted the blessing that he received came to us he was persecuted so that we might be blessed Jesus was persecuted so that we might be blessed so that those of us who by nature hate God and would persecute his people could instead be adopted into his family. And so in light of all that he has done for us, and in light of all that he promises to do for us in the future, it would be hard to put it any better than the Apostle Paul, when persecuted we endure, and all by his grace. Amen. We close by singing from Psalm 35. Psalm 35, 9 to 14, starting on page 66. And surely we can't sing of the persecution of this individual without thinking of the Lord Jesus. Verse 9, malicious witnesses rise up and ask things I don't know. For good they evil me repay and devastate my soul. Verses 10 and 11 make clear that this persecution is in response to goodness and kindness in verse 13, the persecutors are like mockers at a feast, just as those godless mockers put the Lord Jesus to death during the feast of the Passover. And yet the psalm ends with the confidence that one day God will save his persecuted people. The persecution, persecution no matter how fierce, uh, for some of our brothers and sisters around the world, it's very fierce, will one day be brought to an end. And knowing that helps us be those who, when persecuted, we endure. So Psalm 35, 9 to 14, if you're able, we'll stand as we sing. <laughs>